Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome back to the Sorkin Cast, or if it's your first time with us, welcome to the Sorkin Cast. This is episode 36 of the podcast, where this week we are covering the West Wing episode, season 2, episode 10, Noel. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com. At your one-stop shop for all things regarding this podcast, you can find the back episodes of the podcast in downloadable or streaming form. You can also find contact links and podcatcher links. And if you take the time to follow those podcatcher links and leave me a review, either on iTunes or Stitcher or really whatever podcatcher you use, I would very much appreciate it. And I will thank you during our upcoming feedback podcast, which is just a couple of weeks away now. If you do have any feedback regarding the first 11 episodes of the West Wing Season 2, or uh, the movie, The Social Network. You need to get that stuff into me real shortly. Uh, April 19th, 2016 is the deadline so that I can then record the feedback podcast and get it to you the following Sunday. And how do you do that? Well, you send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at sorkincast on Twitter, or you can leave a voicemail on our call-in line. It's the Rewatching Good TV listener line. And you dial 314-669-1840. And you can leave a message there. Make sure to say that you're leaving it for the Sorkin cast, because I do use that line for multiple podcasts. It's also never too early to start thinking about your nominations for the season two West Wing Awards, which we will have in our feedback podcast after the season two finale review. Um, Think of your favorite or least favorite episode, favorite or least favorite scene, favorite or least favorite main character, and favorite or least favorite guest star of season two of the West Wing And we'll include that in a podcast, and I'll give you a deadline for that uh, once we get on the other side of this feedback podcast. And there's just one more thing that I want to talk about, and that is we're now approaching the midway point of Season 2, and it's time to start thinking about what we're going to cover after we finish Season 2. And so, therefore, I have a poll up regarding what you want to choose for me to cover Uh, throughout the summer months of the podcast, you can find the poll in the What's Next tab at sorkincast.wordpress.com, and you have until Mother's Day, May 8th, to vote and choose. Do you want to do West Wing Season 3? Do you want to do uh, a season of Sports Night? Do you want to do a season of Newsroom? Go and vote and make your voice heard. And uh, I will announce the results, of course, uh, once we have them. Again, the deadline for that is Mother's Day, May 8th, 2016. And that's enough about the podcast. Let's get to talking about this episode, which is a huge fan favorite. Also a very uh, touted episode, I suppose, by critics and such. It is Season 2, Episode 10, entitled Noel. And the story was by Peter Purnell. And Aaron Sorkin wrote the teleplay. 
The episode was directed by Thomas Schlamme, uh, a regular producer and director in this show. It first aired on December 20th, 2000, so there was a, a quite a bit of a wait uh, to get this episode from the prior one. And it was viewed by an estimated 18.3 million viewers, which is a little down, probably because of the holidays and because, you know, there were like three weeks in there where there were no episodes of West Wing when it aired live. Nevertheless, a lot of folks really like this episode. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode fourth out of 158 possible episodes. Very, very high. And really, I think that this episode is just absolutely phenomenal. This episode might have helped Bradley Whitford win his Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actor in 2001. Uh, his performance in this episode was absolutely fantastic. Also, by the way, just remember that Allison Janney won an Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress this same year. Um, and specifically what we can tie to this episode, the director of photography, Thomas Del Ruth, won Best Cinephotography for this specific episode uh, in 2001. Here's your episode summary. Josh must speak with Stanley Keyworth from ATFA about his behavior in the White House around the Christmas holiday, while CJ unravels a mystery surrounding a painting and a tourist. And every week it seems like we have uh, at least one, and sometimes multiple, and sometimes just seems like it's one long one, uh, what I call walk and talks. That's where people are walking around in the offices and, and, and talking about the various issues. This time around, there were a few uh, but I picked this one from near the beginning. Here's that for you. When did you find out? We were in the Situation Room an hour ago. How long has he been up there? 90 minutes since he broke formation. They've deployed the 57th Fighter Wing from Nellison, Nevada, the 388th, the 58th from Arizona, the 301st out of Texas. How long before I see this on television? I'm amazed. New Center for doesn't have their traffic copter up there right now. And how long before we make visual contact? About 10 minutes. What do we know about the pilot? Not as much as I'd like to. You want me to get into it? Get the biographical info. How did this guy get through a fairly intense psychological screening process? Yeah. We gave this guy an $18 million war plane. I'll get into it. Excuse Sorry. Me. Donna. I have the personnel file for the pilot. How did you know I was going to ask you for that? I'm tuned to you. Seriously. I anticipate your every need. Yeah, but to be walking by with a guy's personnel file? They called me 10 minutes ago. Josh, don't be a yet. Oh. On the other hand, you're a very handsome man. What do you need? You're a very powerful and a very handsome man. What do you need? You know how I never ask you for anything. What do you need? Yo-Yo Ma's playing at the Christmas party. Which one? Congressional. Fine. I can come? Give me the file. Can I come? To the Congressional Christmas party? Yeah. You can take your Pablo Casals, you can keep your Rastafavich. I say Yo-Yo Ma rules. And just like there's a walk and talk, at least one of them every week, there's always a ton of what I call quick jabs. They're kind of either personal or political or, or professional uh, little jabs at each other or just humorous quotes in general. And most of this week's are actually a little more mean-spirited than usual. Um, some of them are still kind of funny, though. So here's that for you. I'm sorry? The shooting took place in Roslyn, Virginia, not Rosalind. I'm sorry, I'm not from around here. Where are you from? San Francisco, California. Oh, I thought it was San Francesco. You like them? 
So I like them for what? Play Christmas carols here in the lobby in the mornings and evenings as people are coming and going. You like them? No. Why? Because this isn't the Paramus Mall. CJ, your necklace is a monument to bourgeois taste. Thank you. You're welcome. Bernard? Listen, who is Gustav Caillou, and how long has this painting been hanging outside the Blue Room? Caillou was a contemporary of Courbet, who was considerably more gifted. This is a painting of the cliffs at Etretat, cleverly titled The Cliffs at Etretat. It is a minor work. What's it doing here? It was on loan from the Musée d'Orsay to the National Gallery. The president, on a visit to the National Gallery, and possessing even less taste in fine art than you have in accessories, announced that he liked the painting. The French government offered it as gift to the White House, I suppose as retribution for Euro Disney. So here it hangs, like a gym sock on a shower rod. You're a snob. Yes. What do you think we should do with this pilot once we get his ass on the ground? You think that's going to happen? No. Mr. President, they've asked me to talk to you about your Christmas cards. What about them? They want to know which ones you want to sign by hand and which ones get the auto pay. I'm going to sign them all by hand. Sir, we went through this last year. I'm going to sign them all by hand. I'm not sure that's practical. I don't like the whole idea of the auto pay. Nonetheless... Let's do them by hand. How many can there be? Christmas cards. How many am I sending out? 1,110,000. Seriously? Yes, sir. You missed the coaster with quite a bit of force. I work out when I can. I swear I am completely unimpressed with clever answers. And I was so hoping we'd have a second day. <laughs> you look good, Charlie. I didn't know people dressed like this anymore. I brought it back. Yes, sir. Like Woodrow Wilson in top hats. We're not gonna wear top hats with this, are we, sir? You see, you try very hard to be mean, but then you see that being nice is better. You're a freakishly tall woman. So that moment's over. Yes. Bernard, he really gets him in there. Uh, I love Bernard. He's awesome. Uh, that's the guy that's with CJ. Let's get into the, talking about the plot of this episode, which is very heavy, very deep, very dark uh, in a lot of ways, uh, but a great episode. Clip one is where Josh meets with ADFA specialist Stanley Keyworth and is asked questions about the last three weeks. CJ takes a strange question in the press briefing about a tourist going crazy. The president is briefed about a military pilot who has taken off on his own with the plane and Josh continues to be adversarial with Keyworth's questions in the present day. I'm Stanley Keyworth. This is Keith Atras. Josh Lyme. Hi. Do I call you doctor? Sorry? Is it doctor Keyworth? Oh, whatever you want. You can call me Stanley if you want. And doctor, uh, I'm sorry. Trask, but it's not doctor. I'm not a psychologist. Keitha is uh, training as a traumatologist. I was wondering why there are two of them. What happened to your hand? I, uh, I cut it putting down a glass. The glass broke? Yeah. Well, um, let me tell you a little about who we are. Sure. We're from ABVA. In your wildest dreams, did you imagine that I would walk into this room without knowing exactly who you are and what you do? No. Then why did you lie to me right off the bat? I read briefing books every day on subjects considerably more complicated than ADVA. She is here training in trauma therapy. Yeah, but that's not why there are two of you. No. I get up, go to the bathroom, go to my office, answer the phone. One of you watches me. Yeah. Stanley, you got off to a bad start. Let's start again. You gonna lie to me this time? You gonna lie to me? Haven't yet. Really? Yeah. How did you cut your hand? You're not talking to the paper boy either, Josh. Some of the people that you work with became concerned with your behavior about three weeks ago. Well, I've been concerned with their behavior since way before that. 
Josh. They were talking about the pilot. The pilot? Robert Kano, the Air Force pilot. And what about him? I don't know. You just said that they were talking about the pilot. I said they may have been talking about the pilot. Well, that's not what you said. There was a lot going on. There was the IMF treaty, the petroleum reserves, Alaska, the president's... But you mentioned the pilot. I didn't mention the pilot for any special reason. I was saying that there was a lot happening three weeks ago. Then let's talk about three weeks ago. Mark. This is way out of left field, but do you know anything about a woman, I don't know how to say this, going a little crazy during a tour? A White House tour? Yeah, a woman saw a painting and started screaming. I don't know, Mark. There's a painting of Dolly Madison in the grand foyer. You catch it in the wrong light, it can scare the living. Okay. <laughs> what else? Katie. CJ, last night the energy secretary gave a speech at the Natural Resources Defense Council about the perils of drilling the North Slope. During a Q&A, he was asked about tapping into the strategic petroleum reserves to help ease oil prices. He responded that the idea had a lot of merit. Does this signal a shift in policy since last June? Well, no, it doesn't, but I will say that a bad idea in June isn't necessarily a bad idea in December. Why? You don't need to lower the price of heating oil in the summer. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Ken, what does he have up there? Well, he's got a 20-millimeter Vulcan cannon and seven AIM Sidewinder missiles. Is his intention to defect with a military asset, or is his intention to blow something up? We don't know what his intention is. Don't our fighter pilots have to go through some kind of psychological testing? Well, they go through extensive screening, sir. He was deemed psychologically fit to fly. Mr. President, it's possible the pilot lost consciousness due to a dramatic loss of air pressure, and that's why this is happening. We've scrambled F-16s out of Edwards to get a visual sighting. If the pilot is dead, they'll see signs in the cockpit. If he's conscious, he'll know he's been painted, and he'll be given an order by the interceptors to land at a designated area. If he doesn't, that's when we make a decision. How long will we be here today? Well, I'm sorry if this answer sounds rude, but as long as I want. I was asked here by Leo McGarry. I know who asked you here. Three weeks ago, the pilot. For the fourth time, there was a lot going on that day. I'm not sure why we need to be fixated on... What was the assignment with the pilot? I was supposed to look into his personal records to figure out why he... It's the coffee, Josh. Is really the first thing to address is that an audio format in no way shape or form can really do justice to this episode as compared to you know when you watch it because they're during a lot of these long pauses which i also cut down just for time's sake um, there are these facial expressions there are these recognitions there's this tension that is created by the long pauses but you really can't afford to put them in an audio podcast because it just sounds like dead air rather than what it really means. Um, all of these things I really can't effectively give you in an audio form. Um, so if you haven't watched the episode recently, you probably ought to just go back and, and, and actually watch it because it means so much more in the form that in the media form that it was meant to be in uh, than in the form that I'm giving it to you right now. Now that said, the performance of Bradley Whitford is absolutely amazing in this episode, and you do get some of that in the audio form because of the tone of voice as they go along. Brilliant in every second of this episode, in my opinion. And this journey that we see Josh go through during this eight-hour session from beginning to end of the episode is amazing in itself because, in a lot of ways, it's so typical of Josh's character. 
tries when he first walks into the room to start off by using intimidation as a tactic to deflect what's actually going on with him. And then you have Keyworth here who is steady and insistent and increasingly more aggressive with Josh because he's realizing that's the only way that he can get through to him uh, to get some progress that Josh needs. But Josh, you know, he beats up on senators all the time. He He's the guy who makes threats. So it's natural for him to go to that level um, to try and get through this, even in the battle within himself. He's trying to be aggressive against himself in that way too. But in this case, he's just trying to deflect the problem a little bit. Um, and so he starts right off by attacking Keyworth. Now, the relation of Josh to the pilot was a really interesting way to parallel Josh's PTSD, but that really doesn't become more apparent until the episode progresses a little further. So, of course, we'll save some of that talk uh, for later. In the meantime, it really doesn't seem like anyone in the situation room is very optimistic about what's going to happen with this pilot. I mean, not even Bartlett, uh, especially when you consider his talk with the with Charlie, uh, later. And as for CJ, you know, I included the little bit about the oil reserve only because it's in a meeting about that where Josh goes ballistic towards the president later on in the episode. But the other bit with the screaming tourist, um, and the painting is, is set up great here. Um, and there are some, some great exchanges with my favorite snob in the whole world, uh, Bernard, which we will get to uh, next, or in the next clip. There were a couple of things that weren't in this clip that I had to cut for time, like Toby saying he won't be accused of not being holiday-friendly this year, and and the band stuff. Uh, And most of that stuff is a nice comedic bit, as is Donna's, like, Yo-Yo Ma enthusiasm. I got some of that in the walk and talk, so I guess we're covered there. I'm just pointing out that despite the serious subject matter, there is a little bit of lightheartedness in this episode as well. And remember, you know, Josh's first little take on the whole brass quintet thing um, shouldn't be allowed in the White House. Looking back on it in retrospect, once you've seen the whole episode, uh, you can actually look at that and see um, that he's starting to get set off there. Uh, Nice bit of subtlety there from Bradley Woodford. I thought that was great. And that's it. Let's move on to clip two, where Josh looks into the AWOL pilot. CJ meets with Bernard about the press question regarding the tourist. Leo tells Josh that the pilot has intentionally crashed the plane, and Toby notes a change in Josh's behavior. Stanley, back in the present day, then steers the questions towards a specific date where Josh becomes more unglued with CJ and then even the president. This guy, that pilot. What about him? He's got the same birthday as me. I'll be in here. Josh. Yeah. So I spoke to Jesse Witt at Energy. Yeah. I dressed her down pretty good. They're not going to get us to change our policy on the SPR by announcing we should change our policy. And I told her that. I told her that. No uncertain terms. And? I think we should change our policy. I kind of have to do this thing right now. Can we talk about it later? Yeah. 
Claudia Jean. How are you doing, Bernard? I'm not at all well. That's not unusual, is it? No. I understand there was an incident on a tour. There's always an incident on a tour. People touch things. Well, you should punish them for that, Bernard. I begged my superiors to allow me. This had to do with a painting. Oh, yes. It's all in the report. It wasn't a problem. Yeah, but it made it to the press room, so I just wanted to check in. The guide was pointing out the Gustave Caillou hanging outside the blue room. A woman began screaming completely incoherently. In English? If it was a language at all, its origin was unknown to me. I sent for the agent on duty who attempted to take a statement, but not speaking whatever language this woman was, simply escorted her out of the building. Silver. The F-16? Yeah. He went into a mountain north of Mexico City. Was the pilot alive when it crashed? Yes. We know that for sure, or we're just... It was a radio communication. From the pilot? Yeah. What'd he say? He said it wasn't the plane. So what do you know? The same things you know. He's from Tallahassee. He trained at Laughlin on T-37s. What else? Stanley. What else did you know? I didn't know anything. I knew, his, I knew his name. I knew his rank. What else? We had the same birthday. That's right. And what else? He's got some medals. One of them's a Purple Heart. For what? His plane was shot at over Bosnia. It caught fire. He ejected. And there were some injuries. Shepherds herd sheep. They don't do it in Delaware, and these guys can't play in the lobby. The money the, the people toss in the cases will go to buy band uniforms for the St. Mary's Assumption High School Marching Red Raiders. Toby, I'm not kidding. These guys have a 14-song repertoire. I can hear the damn sirens all over the building. The bagpipes. Josh? They can't play in the lobby. If you look back to the days following the pilot, do you remember anything unusual about your behavior? No. Why do you think your friends were saying that? This is incredibly prosecutorial. I don't care. I think if you want to know what my friends were thinking and why they were thinking it, you should talk to my friends. I did. So I gather. What was going on on the 19th? CJ. Yeah. What are you doing? Eating lunch. Why is... Something strange about this photograph. Listen, why is there no more information coming about Robert Kano? It's not the photograph, it's the painting in the photograph. Why has there been no new information? Because there's no new information. A perfectly healthy Air Force pilot kills himself, and nobody's asking why? A lot of people are asking why, we just don't know why, except that he obviously wasn't perfectly healthy anymore. You don't remember having a meeting in the Oval Office that day? It's not unusual for me to meet with the President in the Oval Office five or ten times a day. The meeting I'm talking about wasn't usual. Stanley. Come on. You're pissed at Sam, you're pissed at Toby, you're pissed at CJ, you're pissed at Donna. Who is next? From Josh. We can't just take him aside. If we tell him we need his help, then we give him visibility and power, and we put him in a position to say no and be a hero to his party, and who wouldn't want to do that for a living? Josh, Didion's a good guy. We can talk to him. You need to listen to me. You have to. To listen to me. I can't help you unless you listen to me. You can't send Christmas cards to everyone. You can't do it. Forget the SPR. Let's get the IMF loans like we said we were going to. Listen to what I have to say about Didion and please listen to me. I'll just repeat once again. It's great to see this progression of the session itself between Keyworth and Josh. Josh's like over aggressive stance is, is just kind of being whittled away as, as Keyworth just starts to hammer uh, at the issues with him more and more. Keyworth is becoming more aggressive himself. It, it, the, by the end, the table is really flipped. 
And Keyworth's not being aggressive in nearly the mean-spirited way that Josh was, but he realizes that he has to, basically, if Josh's instinct is to, you know, attack, um, then he has to counterpunch. And it's all because, really, Josh himself can't believe he's lost it the way he has. Because Josh is, is so scared that he might be perceived in taking his own life, the pilot explains his being so angry at the beginning because he knows the second person is for a suicide watch type of thing. And the way Arkin and that's Adam Arkin, the guy who plays Stanley Keyworth and, and Whitford so subtly changed directions over the course of the episode is absolutely amazing. But back to the pilot, the, the keys here between Josh and the pilot are the fact that they have the same birth date. Uh, the pilot got hurt doing his duty pretty much the same way, you know, Josh was at a presidential thing when he got hurt. And then, you know, suddenly it seems like this pilot just snapped and wasn't able to do his duty anymore. So that makes me conclude that the pilot was probably triggered uh, since his last evaluation himself. And so the suddenness of the, of the trigger uh, is another parallel between them. But Josh doesn't even know what's happening to him right now in that sense. But I, I love how, uh, with Toby, how the music sirens thing is brought up. You know, the, the bagpipes and the sirens. Because that point, of course, pays off really well at the end, too. I suppose even to us, the mystery of what is happening it, it is slowly revealed as well uh, until we get to the 19th uh, of December those flashbacks, and you see how much Josh is so unlike his usual self. I mean, Josh can be a complete ass. Let's face it, he can be aggressive and be an ass, but he is never out of control. And this last little bit of this clip, the, the meeting with the president is the linchpin because Josh would never speak to the president in that way. And and think about how many times Josh has nearly lost his job already. Uh, that would be a pretty much a linchpin into getting fired, speaking to the president that way. But even more than, than Whitford's, you know, brilliant rant and rave, uh, which was so terrifying and, and, and so heartbreaking uh, during that scene with the president, what really sold it about Josh breaking down in all of this stuff was the scene with, Toby or CJ, the, the reactions that you have to the way Josh is acting, the way Toby just quietly calls out his name and, and looks so concerned. And CJ is just like, what the hell's up with him? And, and then you in the in the Oval Office, Rob Lowe. Oh, my gosh. His reaction was so good as Sam, where it's just like, you know, he cannot believe this is Josh. And he's trying to pull him back from the edge of a cliff. And actually, the way Sheen reacted and, and the way uh, John Spencer reacted it, it, for as Leo, it was that's what sold just how off the block Josh really is right now. And I did cut the little bit with Leo, and and, and also the bit with Keyworth crediting Leo for recognizing what was going on with Josh. Um, but I I love that Leo would be able to see it. Remember. And I don't know if this just is about his alcoholism. Remember, Leo is a, a former pilot. Although, has that been revealed in the series yet or not? 
I don't remember. I may have just spoiled you something, but Leo was a pilot in Vietnam. I think that's been revealed already. So he probably understands a little bit about what PTSD is. Um, so there you go there. Uh, I'll, I'll just briefly touch on the CJ stuff. You have CJ fig- trying to figure out what's going on with this tourist. And, of course, I feel like I left the best part of the C.J. Bernard interactions uh, out, and I actually put them in the quick jabs. But even here, when he's just talking about the painting, uh, Bernard is such a snob. Uh, He's so hilarious. Uh, I just love him. Uh, It's it's a dry sense of humor, too. And as far as C.J. goes, she's pretty much putting it together in the clip with Josh. I mean, Josh points out that it looks like the painting in the blue room, and then she figures out, uh, what's going on. Um, but, uh, I had to cut some of CJ's scene out for time, uh, again. Um, speaking of which, it's time to move on to our next clip where Keyworth makes Josh tell him what happened the night of the party on the 19th, telling Stanley about his reliving of the shooting during then. And in the meanwhile, on the same night, CJ rectifies the situation about the tourist and the painting. Is there going to be how'd a... How'd you cut your hand? Stanley. Oh, how'd you do it? I put a glass down. Yeah, I don't think you did. Stanley, I got home from the thing. I made a drink. I sat down. I pushed the magazine aside to use as a coaster. I missed the coaster. You're in nine kinds of pain. You don't know what's going on inside of you. And you are so locked into damage control that you can't you diagnosed me in eight hours josh i diagnosed you in five minutes talk about the night of the party mrs hausman i'm cj craig i'm the white house press secretary this is your painting your father was augie hausman yes he was an art collector mostly of minor impressionists that nobody else really cared that much about he was a french jew and the vichy laws stripped him of his property Yeah. Well, best as we can tell, the Nazis sold the painting to a Swiss dealer sometime after your grandfather perished at Auschwitz. It made its way to the Musée d'Orsay, then to the National Gallery, where the president spotted it. We've contacted the French... Who promptly surrendered. ...who wanted to settle this matter amicably. We'd like you to have our sincere apology, as well, of course, as the painting back. Thank you. Well, you've made an old woman and her son very happy. What we need to get you to do is be able to remember the shooting without reliving it. And you have been reliving it. I'm not trying to give you cocky answers. I'm right I now. am the guy you tell, Josh. It happened at the Christmas party. It was the Bach G Major. That's a nice piece. It is. Did he play it well? Yo-Yo Ma. I've never heard him in person. It's really... It's really quite something. I don't know how it started. 
You tasted something bitter in your mouth. It was the adrenaline. The bitter taste was the adrenaline. What happened then? I couldn't make it stop. So just real quickly about CJ, I, I love that she's put all of this together and, and got a good resolution for the tourists. And even though I cut it out of the audio clip, it was also nice to see Bernard use his knowledge to make the the returning of the painting to this tourist even happier, given its like increased value because it's hung in the White House. I also loved the woman's reaction that she would just rather have the painting. Really, when you think about it, that might be, I mean, outside of the Christmas music playing and the whole Christmas cards bit with uh, the president, which I didn't really include in anything except the, the uh, quick jabs. Um, really, this little bit right here may be the most kind of quasi Christmassy thing in the entire episode. And what I mean by that is the fact that she knows what's important to her. I mean, it doesn't really matter to her that any additional material gain might come out of the painting stand at the White House. For her, it's about reconnecting with her family and her past uh, through having the painting in her home again. That's more important than money or the monetary gain. Just remember, it's the thought of the gift rather than the value of the gift uh, is the whole idea of what Christmas is about uh, from a gift-giving standpoint anyway. Now, the setup to the Yo-Yo Ma stuff is really the crux of everything Josh is going through because Keyworth tells Josh that he's been in damage control mode. And he kind of gives his reasoning behind that in the next clip. But this is the beginning of the explanation um, that makes seeing those first few scenes really impactful when you're doing a rewatch of this show. Um, it's the beginning of the explanation as to how Josh so quickly became affected by the PTSD. And I know that I've said that in prior holiday episodes that sometimes character is abandoned. I've also heard uh, one criticism of this particular episode that it seems like Josh becoming affected by the PTSD is, is coming out of nowhere or that it doesn't really affect him later. But my argument against that is, isn't that exactly what we can assume happened to this pilot? as well. I mean, Josh was affected by some random sequence of triggers that sent him spiraling out of control very quickly. I mean, it's quite possible that the pilot was doing fine during his last psyche evaluation, and then just some random set of circumstances sent him spiraling out of control as well. So for both the cases in this particular episode, the PTSD just kind of comes out of nowhere. And if Sorkin clearly demonstrates that that is happening the same way twice, 
why would anybody look at this as being out of character for Josh? It's not. Overlooking a critical piece of information about a possible presidential appointee is out of character for Toby. But something that has been waiting for a trigger inside Josh so deep down that he isn't even aware of it is definitely not out of character. It's just a set of circumstances. I mean, go back and look at Josh telling Sam he didn't want to be part of the lawsuit. There's a little bit of lingering pain there, but it's not a troubled pain. If you're in a major accident, I mean, often you don't remember what happened for a really long time anyway. And then when something does trigger you remembering it, you get really shaken by it. And that's kind of what PTSD is in its simplest terms, I guess. Um, Except sometimes the way that those victims of PTSD handle it make it worse. And that's why Keyworth wants Josh to remember without reliving. And that becomes the issue for everyone with PTSD, no matter how severe um, the cause or the effect. So people who say that this happening to Josh coming out of nowhere is a criticism, um, I, I say to you, understand the problem and realize that this is exactly how it is very often. And, and thus, it is instead um, probably one of the most realistic things about the episode as opposed to what the critics say. As for the Yo-Yo Ma scene itself, well, uh, once again, an audio podcast can never do justice to the visuals. You have the looks on Josh's face. You have the concerned look on Toby's face as he's watching Josh. You have the, the shots of what Josh is reliving in that moment. And that's all put to, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written by anyone on this planet and possibly ever will be. And that's box cello suite number one in G major. I, I think that the, the timbre of the cello and, and the progression through light and, and dark passages of the melody itself and, and the phrasing of the melody itself actually make that piece by Bach, one of the most soul searching pieces ever created. Um, and it was perfect for that to be the piece of music that would make Josh finally put his hand through a window. And of course, not only is the piece of music itself brilliant, but you're getting it played by one of the greatest musical talents of many, many, many generations, Yo-Yo Ma. Um, and whoever made the decision to put this, this montage and this piece of music together was really nothing short of, of genius and, and is one of the most sensitive souls ever. And there's more of it, too. Uh, in clip four, Keyworth continues to push Josh about hurting his hand. And then after Josh admits to putting his hand through the window, Keyworth tells him what's been cooking in him for the last three weeks. I couldn't make it stop. No, you couldn't, Josh, but you've been trying for three weeks. And that's why you were feeling sick inside. And what happened when you went home that night? Mr. Lyman, are you in there? You had an episode at the party. That afternoon, you had blown up in the Oval Office. What happened when you went home that night? Honestly, nothing. Okay. 
I sat down on the you couch. You honestly tell me I, 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 that I, that pilot pushed committed a magazine suicide as a coast. Can you honestly tell me that you didn't wonder if you were suicidal too? I, I didn't wonder that. You're lying. I didn't wonder Everything that. that the two of you had in common. We had nothing in you common. You knew you had the same birthday. Who gives a damn if we had the same but birthday? you knew something else. Stanley. You knew he had been shot down once, that his plane had caught on fire, that he had ejected, and that there were some injuries. Stanley, I made myself a drink. I pushed aside a magazine. Josh. A coast Josh. How did you cut your hand? Okay, then. Okay, then. That's that. I'm cured? Yeah, Josh. You're cured. No problem. Stanley. I'm gonna recommend a therapist you'll like. I like you. You're too easy a case for me. I broke a window. Yeah, stop doing that. I want to commend you on not hurting anybody else and not hurting yourself too badly, but nevertheless, stop doing that. And that'll do the trick? Yep. I'm getting shortchanged here. Merry Christmas, Josh. We're done. I'll call your office after the holidays and give you a number. It was nice meeting you. Hang on. What happens if tomorrow some pilot with my birthday decides to kill himself? No, that wasn't what started it. What started it? You were already cooking for a few hours before the pilot. I was? Usually with a gunshot victim, it's uh, a car backfiring or a twig snapping, but that's not what it was with you. What was it? Okay, Phil? The music. The brass quintet. Why would the music have started? Well, I know it's going to sound like I'm telling you that two plus two equals a bushel of potatoes, but at this moment, in your head, music is the same thing as... As sirens. Yeah. So that's going to be my reaction every time I hear music? No. Why not? Because we get better. All the same, I, I need some more therapy. Oh, you're going to get some. I mean now. Merry Christmas, Josh. You can order pizza. <laughs> Have a good night. Stanley, I haven't told you my dreams yet. Fax them over to me. Merry Christmas. So you might notice that I'm taking whole scenes now in some of my clips because we're getting near the end of the episode. Uh, and I had trimmed a lot of the earlier parts of the episode. And that's because once you get to the end of the episode and the mystery of why Keyworth is talking to Josh at all, it changes the way you see the rest of the episode. And here is the big deal about why everyone is worried about Josh. It has nothing to do with him offending anyone else or yelling or screaming. It's the concern that he might hurt himself either unintentionally or intentionally. Um, that's why Keyworth keeps talking about the hand, the whole episode and the way Whitford portrays Josh from again, the guy wanting to just beat this whole problem into submission the way he does an errant senator at the beginning to this guy in this clip who is a shell. He's breaking on the inside from, from what is happening to him. He's pleading to not have to say what happened in his apartment because he feels like 
this problem has beaten him. And Whitford's performance over the course of the whole episode is absolutely extraordinary in every aspect of tone and character. Um, the realization that he could be just like that pilot is what he's so scared of. And the reason he's tried deflecting this problem uh, all the while for the last three weeks. The reason that Keyworth has to be so insistent is because of this. The admission that Josh is not stronger than the feelings that are turning up inside, that's the breakthrough. And now that it's out in the open, it can be understood and helped over time. It's also the first time since the whole PTSD thing got triggered to the conscience that you actually hear Josh have hope again. He's been spiraling down in this very cynical way uh, to the point where he's meeting with Keyworth. And, and now he's like, oh, wait a minute, we need to do more here. I, I'm feeling better. Let, let, help me out. Um, that's why he wants to keep going with Keyworth, because he has hope again. And I love the idea of the brass quintet being the trigger. Um, it's almost a certainty that Josh has you know, been listening to music the whole time since the shooting. But if you think about it, a brass quintet, because of the, like, the timbre of the instruments themselves, they can sound like sirens. Especially when you think about the time that Josh and even I myself, we grew up in. I mean, emergency vehicle sirens were mostly produced with bullhorns mounted on the vehicles themselves. And even electronic produced sirens today um, still have that same kind of timbre to them no matter how they're amplified. And also the thing about the bagpipes and their sheer volume uh, and a little bit of timbral uh, similarities to sirens. That's why Josh called the bagpipes sirens to Toby earlier in the episode. Plus, and, and perhaps the most important part about this whole thing in music, about music in general and why it might have affected uh, Josh in this way so suddenly I mean, think back to the season one episode where Josh got that NSA card. What was that? I can't remember what the episode was, um, but where he got the NSA card telling him where to go in the event of a nuclear attack. That's when he went to go see his therapist because Josh has abandonment issues. He feels like he abandoned his sister. Uh, he feels like he wasn't there for his father. Uh, and one thing that he did to try and soothe himself about his sister on that day and about his feelings about abandoning all of the all of his friends at the White House was to play that Ave Maria because it reminded him of his sister. Music has always been a trigger for Josh in terms of his own psychology one way or the other, sometimes to calm, like in the case of the fact that he had been, had felt like he had abandoned his sister during the fire. But here, the reverse applies. Remember, he was alone when he was shot. He felt abandoned on some level when the shooting happened. He even tells Keyworth in the episode that there were lots of people around, but that's the deflecting. It folds back into, in that conversation, that he was more or less alone. And so if the music calmed him before, a great piece of classical music calmed him before in regards to his sister because he felt like he had abandoned her, then why couldn't a great piece of classical music, when 
there's an internal feeling of him being abandoned trigger the opposite. It makes perfect sense in terms of his character. I thought that that was absolutely beautiful. Uh, And again, not out of nowhere, uh, not uncharacter friendly. It's very much in his character. And that's it for that clip. So let's move on to the final one where after the session, Josh finds that Leo and Donna have both waited for him. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. Josh. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hall. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Long as I got a job, you got a job, you understand? You wrapped that yourself, right? The bandage? Yeah. yeah. Donna's going to take you to the emergency room. She knows? She was the one who guessed. I don't need the emergency room. Come on, it could be infected, you could have a thing. What thing? How the hell do I know? Leo. Let's go. See you later. Okay. bit was great it's it's essentially like him being a sponsor for josh at one of leo's own meetings 
Uh, the idea was very touching. I liked the speech. Uh, I also thought it was very touching that Donna was the one who had figured out that Josh had probably wrapped the bandage himself. Um, and again, there's no way that she would be leaving until she saw him again after a session. It's pretty much the same way we saw Margaret was about Leo uh, when Leo was getting his divorce papers. Um, these assistants are just amazing. Uh, a lot of times in the West Wing, I know you've probably heard me say that before if you've listened to all of my podcasts, but I just love how uh, the assistants are so much more than just their job uh, in this show. But the real thing to think about here at the end uh, is as Josh listens to the carolers and you have that haunted look on his face as he's listening. I mean, man, that got me because just like Keyworth said, this isn't over for Josh. He will need therapy. He will need to talk to somebody. Um, and the perfect cap for it all was that even though he said to Donna he was okay, he was ready to go uh, and what have you, as you still see the carolers as they're walking away, you hear sirens in the streets in the background. I mean, that was the perfect audio clue to tell you that Josh still has that struggle ahead of him. Um, but the thing that you get out of the whole thing uh, after him and Keyworth say goodbye um, in the last clip is that he has the resolution to try and the courage to try. And I guess that's all I have uh, for the episode. Let's get to my rating. As you know, I have a uh, special 10-point grading scale at the website, sorkincast.wordpress.com. <laughs> and as much as I try to use it religiously, um, this one probably is going to be an exception to that rule. Because the acting and, and the symbolism and the issue itself are all superb in this episode. Again, I can see why a performance like this would help Whitford get an Emmy win, um, let alone just a nomination from the Academy. Of course, I think that this performance deserves a nomination, but um, definitely a win also. But even though most of the rest of the cast was kind of relegated to the background of this episode... Every little thing that they did, you know, from Richard Schiff's concerned looks to Rob Lowe's stunned expression when he's calling out to Josh to try and bring him back from oblivion in the Oval Office, everybody did their part to an amazing degree to sell this Josh-centric episode, I guess is what you would call it. And then you have the choice of music, the shots, you know, the cinematography, everything in this episode is just so above most television standards, uh, what we typically get in television, especially what we typically got in television um, in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. And this is not my favorite episode of the series by any stretch, but it's definitely one that you absolutely just have to admire for the art that it is. And I'm going to give this one somewhere in the nines, um, despite the fact that it's very helpful to know what happened to Josh in the past in order to fully appreciate where this is coming from. Um, so it's kind of hard to recommend it on its own as a loan, but I'm going against that anyway, and I'm going into the nines. In fact, I'm going to give this one a 9.5 on my scale. 
And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Remember, you only have like a, about a week and a half to a little more like, uh, what, nine, ten days to get your feedback to me regarding the first 11 episodes of season two of The West Wing or the movie The Social Network. And you can submit feedback to me by emailing sorkincast at gmail.com or by tweeting at sorkincast or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail on that line again say that you're leaving your feedback for the sorkincast so that i'm sure to get it to the proper podcast i really appreciate you if you take the time to do so next week we're going to be looking at the last episode before our feedback break which is Season 2, Episode 11, The Leadership Breakfast. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314. 314- 669-1840 The Sorkin Cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV Network.